So welcome to the podcast. And we are speaking with Dr. Sherman uh, De Silva from Trunks and Leaves and Trunks and Leaves organization in California. The website is Trunks, like tree trunks, and then N for letter N and then L-E-A-V-E-S dot O-R-G. Trunks and Leaves is a research-driven organization dedicated to the conservation of wild Asian elephants and their habitats. Um, I talked with Dr. Sherman um, about elephants, their behavior, the Dahai Yagala sanctuary, politicians land grabbing, the impact of deforestation on the elephant population and sanctuaries. What are those elephants doing in captivity in the first place? Yeah. Um, you know, and should they continue to be in captivity, mm-hmm. given that they no longer really have a role to play in captivity? So it was great to hear about her work. Uh, some of her viewpoints may surprise you in an eye-opening way, I would say. And without further ado, here's the podcast with Dr. Sherman De Silva. So uh, f- first of all, thank you very much uh, for uh, coming on the show. That's really much appreciated. Um, thank you for very much for having me. Good. I'm talking with uh, Dr. Sherman uh, De Silva, uh, president and founder of Trunks and Leaves. And I believe you are based in California, USA. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, great. And uh, I was connected via your organization um, via Twitter. And uh, I posted something from your organization. And I understand that you facilitate peaceful coexistence of people and uh, elephants. Um, that seems like a little bit like a contradiction already. Hey, um, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, el- elephants are the largest land mammal. And so, you know, if there's anything that kind of tests the limits of <laughs> whether people can live with wildlife, it's elephants. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the funny thing is that, you know, it seems like it would be very difficult to live with elephants, but we forget that, you know, people have, and elephants have been living next to each other for thousands of years. It's, right. it's not a new thing. And, and, you know, in fact, we've probably co-evolved for millions of years. So, um, the you know the challenges that, that we have today are very much um, a modern you know manifestation of the fact that a we have you know a huge human population on the one hand and ever diminishing habitat you know and wild wild spaces on the other hand mm-hmm. as a consequence so it's it's very much a, a more recent phenomenon although you know it might have been a sort of low level um, you know issue in in times past. Fair, fair enough. And uh, obviously, you say dedicated to the conservation of wild Asian elephants and their habitats. And I looked a little bit um, into your history. Uh, you studied at the University of Pennsylvania, and uh, you went back in 2005 uh, to Sri Lanka. I believe it's your home country, just like me. I live in the UK, but my home country is, is the Netherlands. And mm. um, you were hoping to study the animals uh, that, that you grew up with, um, the Asian uh, elephants. But uh, a lot of happens, I believe, here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, can you tell me a little bit more about the organization? Why you founded uh, Trunks and Leaves? That's, by the way, that's Trunks and Leaves. That's N, and then L E A V E S dot O R G. So you are an organization. Can you tell me a little bit more about the organization and what it is you're trying to accomplish? Yeah. So Trunks and Leaves is a nonprofit based in the U.S. or not for profit organization, and. Um, it's primary. It was primarily motivated by the research that I started for my PhD in, when I was at the University of Pennsylvania. So I started this research project in Sri Lanka in 2005, and 
it, as research projects go, um, I really am a fan of long taking a long-term view of things and uh, trying to understand dynamics of animal populations or even people or societies over a long term. And so these there are these models of research like that from around the world and for elephants in particular, because they live a really long time. Um, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to do something that wasn't just, you know, uh, a short-term research project for my PhD and be done, but I wanted to just keep and stay there and, and see how things changed over time. Mm -hmm. And so Trunks and Leaves was really initially, um, for above all, a, a practical thing for me to do because as an academic, you tend to move around a lot between mm -hmm. universities and institutions, you know, from one position to another. Uh, from one research position to, or to a postdocs, and I had, and I, I in fact had three subsequent postdocs uh, after my PhD. So I needed a, a single home for the work that I was doing, and um, and also a way, you know, as you move around, in, in, to, to raise funds and you know um, have grants and and to create a, a central place where pe people could find information on what I was doing. So all of that. And so that's how Trunks and Leaves was born because um, I always had in mind that I would be doing this, for, uh, you know, for for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And um, more more recently, you know, it's you know, it started off with the focus on elephants and ecology and um, sort of conservation uh, of the population, uh, starting with the protected area that I was working in. But the vision for Trunks and Leaves is is really broader and more international, so not just limited to where I work, but where other you know, collaborators and partners in other countries um, work and landscapes that elephants are found, Asian elephants are found in throughout Asia. Mm -hmm. So that is, um, that is my vision for the organization. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also not just the elephants, but as we will discuss, you know, the, the human part of the equation, which is a very, very important consideration when you're talking about conservation of any species anywhere. Yep. And so it's it's so trunks and leaves. The name, you know, is a is a play on words. You know, trunks like elephant trunks, but also tree trunks because you can't have you know elephants without habitats. So it's a it's a an emphasis on both the animal and the habitats and landscapes. I came to you because uh, the article that I saw on um, Outlook Traveler, um, the name of the article was "This Campaign is Telling People How to Behave Around Elephants," and uh, uh, was Outlook <laughs> India, I believe, um, was the uh, newspaper that uh, posted that. Um, talk about elephant cruelty. Uh, talking about uh, that, the fact that that is a worrying tourism trend, and uh, they. Basically, what it says is that you urge tourists to think seriously about um, how they will interact with elephants going forward. And the uh, program, the focus is called Ethical Elephant um, Experiences. Um, can you perhaps expand mm -hmm. a little bit on that? You talk about, obviously, cruel cruelty, um, uh, cruel conditions. Um, what exactly are we talking about? Is that Are we talking about the, the sanctuaries? Are we talking about the bull hooks the training camps for the elephants and what exactly do you want tourists to do the the focus of our organization is on wild elephant conservation okay yep. wild asian elephant conservation and so you know captive elephants are typically the sort of issues concerning captive elephants and welfare are not typically things that we address as an organization and so the reason why we're focused on this though is that those captive elephant populations have the potential to still have an impact on wild elephants and wild elephant conservation. And so I'll, to, uh, I'll sort of go through what that um, looks like. And so first I want to remind our, you know, the listeners that there, you know, we've had this long history of elephants 
working with people and being in captivity, right, for thousands of years. And in the more, more recent past few hundred years, elephants have been used as working animals. Yeah. When those industries sort of faded, these elephants were left without work. And so they still have upkeep and they still had people who were dependent on, on, on them for livelihoods and things. And so the, the, there was a sort of vacuum that was left for, mm-hmm. for those elephants. And then there's a separate class of elephants that have been used in things like, you know, cultural events and, you know, um, and sort of religious sort of uh, settings. And, and so there's another set of elephants that are in captivity for those reasons, besides the ones that are sort of outside of the range countries. So we're talking about elephants that are in Asia, you know, in, uh, in, in, in places where there are, would also have been wild elephants. Mm-hmm. And the, the danger there, um, you don't so much discuss issues of welfare, although that is also, also has, you know, more recently has been sort of uh, the, the awareness about the conditions in which animals have been kept and the sort of the exploitation and the sort of the, the all the practices around having to train those animals um, has really been it, it more discussed. And I think people are more aware of them. But for those who are not aware, uh, you know, elephants are, are, are not animals, have never been domesticated. They're not a domesticated species, although people kind of talk to them and talk talk about them in this way. So they're not like horses or dogs, something that has been mm-hmm. re, you know, reared for many generations and bred by people. Um, so elephants don't breed very well in in, uh, in captivity, in, or at least in complete captivity. And so those populations that are used, even, even now, who have been used for work purposes, have been allowed to go out and breed with mm-hmm. wild elephants. Okay. And so they are still very much wild animals. Um, and when people kind of t- uh, want to interact with elephants up close, for a long time, people wanted to ride elephants. And I'm happy to see that that's sort of fading away. People no longer want to you know, get up on, on an elephant's back. As that sort of riding experience and the sort of e- econ- economy that that has supported has been fading away. There are also other ways in which people don't directly interact with elephants that are nevertheless, you know, uh, have, have, you know, been popping up everywhere. And, you know, elephants essentially being used for entertainment kind of in a circus-like atmosphere, yeah. even if it's not a circus, but, you know, they're sort of performing. People have probably seen lots of videos of elephants painting, you know. Mm-hmm. These are not natural things for elephants to be doing, riding bicycles, et cetera. Um, so they, of course, they need to be trained to be doing that. And often these are, you know, young animals that are, they're being trained. And elephants live for 60 or in captivity, they can live up to 70 or 80 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what happens to those animals as they age and they're not, not able to perform those tricks anymore? Yeah. There's another class of experiences that have been promoted, and, and these are the so-called sanctuaries. Yeah. Um, this, this, the, and they sort of, sort of position themselves as being the, the better alternative because, you know, now the animals are roaming roaming free or more or less they you know seem to be roaming uh not sort of being told to do things and people are encouraged to interact with them and play with them and Mm -hmm. bathe them and and now you know one of the top sort of experiences that people uh, are looking for is to just kind of go bathe an elephant in a river um so on the face of it this doesn't seem like it could be harmful right and i have to say it is a it is a, now we're in a difficult position because there are these captive elephant populations and they do need to make a living and they do need to be taken care of, right? Mm-hmm. So that 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 uh, economic uh, drive is 
needed um, to support those elephants. But and now, unfortunately, with the pandemic, we're, what we're seeing, though, is the consequence of this population that has been totally relying on, on tourist yeah. money, right? Yeah. And those elephants are pretty much in danger. Of, they're starving yeah. right? and, and mm-hmm. unless there's you know, assistance provided to them. So what we are asking and what some of you know, us are asking, and particularly with the conservation, within the conservation community, is what are those elephants doing in captivity in the first place? Yeah. Um, you know, and should they continue to be in captivity? Mm-hmm. given that they no longer really have a role to play in captivity. Mm-hmm. And the fact that these animals were removed um, historically has probably been uh, one of the main major driving reasons for uh, the declines of wild elephant populations mm-hmm. in, in countries where there has been a lot of um, elephants taken into captivity, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is where I get to the connection between the captive populations and the wild elephant populations. Mm-hmm. And when we uh, promote and we, if there, when there is an economic system where people can make a lot of money ha- with, through captive elephants, it's a, it's a self-reinforcing engine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's an incentive to keep breeding elephants and keeping them in captivity, to keep removing, even though now in most, in most places it's illegal to, you know, to go and capture a, a baby elephant from the wild, Babies are cute, right? Babies are cuddly, yeah. and people want to pay money to go and cuddle up with a baby elephant. That's really dangerous mm-hmm. because that can impact wild elephant populations by encouraging people to continue bringing, either illegally bringing babies in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's still fairly difficult to enforce that, although there has been progress made in trying to monitor and track and catalog all these, you know, captive elephants and make sure that there's no illegal trade, but that illegal trade danger is always there when there's a big economic incentive. And then the other danger is when people interact with these elephants, we know people know to keep their distance and and people know to, you know, wear masks. If you you go have an experience with, you know, viewing gorillas or something like that, you know, disease is always at the forefront of people's minds. And now with the pandemic, it should be, it should be really clear how dangerous that can be when we interact with, with, an, with an animal. And something like an elephant, um, few people know this, but uh, diseases like tuberculosis, yeah. there are cases of transition between humans and elephants and vice versa. Uh-huh. And this can be re- potentially lethal. Uh, if, you know, if not to the person, then, but to the elephant and to the wild elephant populations who might you know, catch whatever it is that we're spreading. Right. And so... So the you know the danger of elephants being taken out of out of the wild you know being captured for for people to sort of play with and also the risk of us passing on disease those are two two very big concerns Mm -hmm. and what we're encouraging is you know for for people and we're not saying people should completely boycott these experiences because they you know they certainly do need the you know to, to to stay funded you know to stay afloat. Yeah. But we're thinking, um, we're encouraging people to think longer term about the consequences of their actions and the demand that they're placing on these kind of direct interactions. Yeah. And we can't, you know, we can't tell those operators directly, you know, what they should or shouldn't do. Um, and although, you know, there can be standards, there can be guidelines, there can be all kinds of things that that's, you know, for them to follow. But as far as the personal decisions that a tourist makes, you know, what we are encouraging people is to stay away and not to demand um, hands-on ex- ex- experiences, not to demand hands-on ex- activities where you have direct contact. You know, if you're viewing an animal like an elephant, 
the the best way to view them we recommend is in the wild first mm-hmm. of all if you have the chance to see them you know in nature doing their thing being wild we especially discourage people from hands-on experiences for with babies in particular yeah. uh you know one thing the the easiest rule to remember is hands off keep your hands off elephants and if you're viewing elephants whether it's a wild elephant or a captive elephant maintain at least 20 30 the longer the distance you can maintain between them the better, you know, not to get up with to to get these selfies and you know close up photos. Yeah. Because if you love an animal, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to touch it and feel it and interact with it. And, you know, absolutely. And this is just yeah. the the wrong sort of expectation to have. So that's what we're promoting. That's very clear indeed. You answered actually a lot of my questions that I had further down the line as well. Um, but um, in your email, um, you mentioned to me that this was an issue that you would like to spotlight. Um, talking about uh, the uh, conservation crisis in a wildlife corridor linked to a national park uh, that you work in, the, I hope I pronounce it correctly, Dahai Yagali uh, Sanctuary. And um, it's, it's a corridor. First of all, perhaps you can explain to me what that exactly um, is, uh, a corridor. Why is that so important for the elephants? And um, what is it that you're trying to do there? Because I hear that politicians uh, are trying to land grab basically what what is happening all over the world it doesn't matter where it is it can be the amazon but this is obviously yes, yeah, indeed. you know so yeah so this is this is a, you know again one example of something that is happening all around the world so yeah. the national park in sri lanka which is where our long-term research has been based is a very popular tourist destination it's it's one of the two most visited parks in sri lanka and it's one of the places where people are you know able to see wild asian elephants which are much harder to see than african Uh, They can just see wild Asian elephants pretty much any time of the year, any day of the week. You know, they're there, and so it's been in recent years, especially, it's grown and it's literally we get millions and millions of tourists every Mm -hmm. pandemic. And what people um, don't really realize is ecologically, large animals like elephants they need to move around. They Mm -hmm. need to move between protected areas. They need to move between different forest areas in different times of year. And so that's where things like corridors and sort of linking sanctuaries come in. Mm-hmm. And they provide avenues by which elephants can get from one place to another. So, you know, in different seasons, they may need food from one, you know, from a different place. Yeah. And Huawei, where, where we've been working, we've estimated the elephant population to be around a thousand animals, somewhere between 800 and 1200 animals. That circulates through the through the park. So okay. that means that you know, as a tourist, when you go in and you see you know twenty or fifty elephants, that that is part of a, a much larger population, mm-hmm. and so it needs to have connections to other areas, to other forest areas. And in this instance, there's a there's a very narrow so-called corridor, and that is a a, 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 a little little stretch of protected habitat that links the Udawawi National Park to another protected forest area. Mm-hmm. And it and these types of um, little habitats are always under sort of constant danger of encroachment because they are themselves not valuable, right? They are not places where the animals live and where you, know, you get lots of tourist revenue. So mm-hmm. these these little stretches of habitat are sort of poorly known. They don't have much visibility and, you know, the man- management for them is... is uh, kind of, there's there's no in many in many places there are no policies regarding them, and so they're always sort of up for you know, grabs in, in a sense. Yeah. And 
um, in this instance, uh, what makes it even trickier is that often, you know, these are places in which people are allowed, like people are allowed to, you know, a certain amount of limited activity. So um, bit by bit, these landscapes get consumed by things like agriculture um, and in more recently agribusiness, okay. where you have, you know, um, interest with political connections, mm -hmm. uh, just sort of clearing out entire large, you know, patches of, of habitat mm -hmm. and putting fences around it and whatever. And, you know, and, and so that's the end of the forest. Mm -hmm. um, so when you have things like that happening, of course, the elephants don't just immediately die, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they they go into neighboring areas and, and they might pass through places, you know, agricultural landscapes. They might pass through villages. So then they get displaced. And this creates the, you know, what's been called human-elephant conflict. It's not really human-elephant conflict. It's that, you know, elephants need to live. They need to move. And 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 sometimes we may not like where they're going. Yeah. Um, and you talk about fences as well, hey. Um, but you, I, I, I hear that, I read somewhere, probably on your website, that elephants mm -hmm. have learned not to care about these fences anyway. So, so what happens? They just uh, trample these fences anyway and just use the land as is? Or... Yeah, so when we when we use any sort of tool, you know, elephants are fairly intelligent and they learn their ways around things like mm -hmm. fences and barriers and trenches. Whatever we can throw at them, the elephants gradually learn to overcome. Right. And unfortunately, because of this mindset that we, you know, we can essentially encircle the wildlife and treat them as if they're in a, in a sort of large zoo. Yeah. Um, the, this management tool of electric fences has been overused in many places. And so elephants learn to overcome the, the fences. And then, you know, it's not all of them. It's just usually, it's usually males, at least in Sri Lanka, that are um, primarily responsible for damaging crops and things like that. Yeah. And so... Then the response of people is to to try to drive the elephants away or to respond with aggression, mm -hmm. and um, that can lead to a very dangerous escalation. You know, if we show aggression towards the elephants, the elephants show aggression towards us, yeah. and and so forth. And and um, and so coming back to you know the the national park and the tourists, right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't want aggressive elephants no. in a national park. So you mm -hmm. know, so th these kinds of dynamics. Um, not behaviorally can be dangerous, but they also undermine the longevity, like the long-term, you know, sustainability of that population. So, you know, if you're going to earn millions and millions from these national parks with its hundreds of, you know, if not thousands of elephants, yeah. then they need a place to live and they need to, to, to move and they need to, and they need these sanctuaries. So the Hayagula is one. And unfortunately, in Sri Lanka, there are several yeah. um, areas in which, you know, there has been um, deforestation, encroachment, land grabs. You, you talk about deforestation and uh, the impact on, on elephants. Um, obviously, the elephants are not able to go to these places where uh, the forest has been taken away. Is there anything else that people need to know about the, uh, the impacts of deforestation on elephants' uh, population? Very important if you're a tourist to do your homework and try to see that the places that you're visiting and the, and the people that you're you're paying money to, right? Your mm -hmm. tour your tour guides and your operators, that they are really actually being ethical and mm -hmm. that they um, are, are can, you know, you need to do a little bit of uh, homework to mm -hmm. see that where, for instance, your hotel or your lodge or whatever is located mm -hmm. is not actually in one of these zones <laughs> yeah. where there, there might be uh, an issue. 
um, because unfortunately, some of the deforestation is precisely due to things like hotels. Oh, really? Okay. Like, uh-huh. Yes, um, so in in buffer, you know, in areas what we would call buffer areas, yeah. which are supposed to be left undeveloped, so that there isn't conflict. Uh-huh. But you know, people, moneyed interests, people who have the political connections, are able to get rights to that land yeah. and plunk down, you know, a hotel or a lodge or what have you. It's really um, important for tourists and travelers to really look up where they are planning to go and stay and to the best of their ability, ensure that it is a, a, a good place that actually demonstrates, you know, demonstrates their commitment to being sustainable and environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And then obviously you mentioned uh, politicians um, uh, a few times, quite a few times. I would say that that that, that government makes money uh, of the of the of the sanctuaries as well of, of places where people can actually go, tourists can go and see elephants in the wild. Isn't it? Wouldn't it be uh, a good solution just to show uh, the government, just to show the politician that a lot of money can be made uh, from tourists just uh, just just going to these areas. As, as opposed to just land grabbing for other reasons, for being it farming, being it um, just winning votes from the local population for those politicians. What, what, what do you reckon? You know, I think that is so true. And it would make sense, wouldn't it, if, if, that, yeah. if that argument could hold sway. And people have done this. I mean, people have made calculations arguing how much, you know, revenue is brought in every year. Yeah. And I think the, I, I suppose one of the challenges is who does that money ultimately go to? And, uh-huh. okay. and you know, if it's if ideally, you know, the model of ecotourism is supposed to be that the, the tourism benefits uh, everybody, right? The wildlife, the nature provides the, the money for protecting the species, but also to the communities who are supposed to be employed and working in this, in, in this industry, right? Yeah. That's the, um, golden vision. Of That's a very golden vision indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and I, what I see often, I what I, I call eco exploitation. The money is going towards um, those people who already have the you know the capital and the, and the connections to invest in those, and much less of it is going to the communities directly to the mm-hmm. people that live there directly, and even in even in cases like Udawale where a lot of local um, communities have benefited from the national park, mm-hmm. it's very, very unbalanced. Um, and, and so, you know, on, yes, on the, on the large scale, you can, sh- you can show politicians, look, this is bringing in this much money and isn't it, isn't it great? But what do, I think it's, uh, it's much more uh, closely tied to how they themselves personally benefit. And I think, um, I think actually the um, the in a democracy, I think in Sri Lanka in, and in many places there where there is a reasonably functional democracy, mm-hmm. um, the fact that they do have votes, uh, you know, that can cut both ways. You know, people can try to grab land and then attempt to give it give it away and you know sort of score points and uh, with yeah. with local voters which mm-hmm. unfortunately tourists you know tourists don't vote in the country elders don't vote so yeah. they have no say um, but on the other hand when if we can make the link between what happens to the elephants and what happens to the forest and the conflict and the suffering that people experience mm-hmm. uh, which more and more um, people are increasingly aware of 
I think that has uh, that has a positive effect on you know then politicians start to worry that they'll lose votes. We just you know we just hope to keep the spotlight on the issues and and hope that they will keep to their word. Do you think they will? And um, locally, there have been uh, the farmers themselves. Actually, I'm very proud of them. They've been protesting um, in the south, for example, asking for um, an elephant reserve that had that had been that had been on the paper proposal well several years ago okay. and hadn't materialized. So there had been farmers actually protesting and going on hunger strike. Right. And why did they do that? If I may ask, what 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 would be the positive side for the farmers um, in, the, in that in that case? Because they actually recognize, and this is you know this is really heartening. They recognize that the reason that they are experiencing hardship and and conflict is because of um, is, is development schemes that have been basically, you know, eliminating elephant habitat mm -hmm. and driving elephants to their villages and to their crops. Um, obviously, my, my next questions were going to be about the number of articles that I read about uh, elephant uh, sanctuaries, but you are more focused, it seems, um, on, on wild elephants, which you just mentioned uh, yourself as well. That said, I would like to have your opinion uh, on some of the sanctuaries that are there, because there was actually an article from a volunteer who mentioned that, uh, uh, who was highlighting the cruelty of elephants that are facing there in the sanctuaries as well. And the people that actually there in the sanctuaries were previously uh, the same, you know, the same people that really trained those elephants and tortured those elephants. Do you have any comments on that? Or? The best sort of advocate for wildlife is a reformed poacher you know yeah. the best defender is somebody who was once upon a time you know hunting animals for the you know for for whatever reason to support themselves and their family mm -hmm. and so if they can have another livelihood defending and protecting the animals they they know them better than anything else so i won't say that somebody who was previously involved in one line of work um, because that's what they knew to do and that's how they traditionally did it mm -hmm. um, can't be reformed But I think okay. uh, the 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 bigger question is whether you know it, it, you know the, those reforms are needed, but whether this is something that should continue in the long term. And that's the question that um, I think is very difficult to face, and mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people, even my professional colleagues, would rather avoid because that's not something that right now, um, with certain governments at least, it's not a question that can really be brought up because it's a very and deep cultural sort of connection that yep. and okay. point of pride that you know the, these countries, including Sri Lanka, including Thailand, mm -hmm. you know different places have uh, with the connection to elephants. Mm -hmm. And so it's I think it's a it's really a, if there is going to be a change, it has to be driven from the inside. In in the wild, obviously, elephants seem to roam around quite a bit. And I read somewhere it's roughly 20, 30 kilometers a day. Uh, obviously, they don't have that in sanctuaries. They do have that in the area that you are focusing um, uh, on, um, the Dahai Yagali uh, sanctuary. Uh, if a corridor is taken away, can they still roam? Um, in this case, you know, so in Sri Lanka, a lot of the uh, elephant range is considered to be outside of protected, you know, formally protected areas. So, okay. so elephants are using the protected areas, but then they're also using landscapes outside of protected areas. Okay. So so if this land is taken away, it's, it's you know, not as if it's going to be a complete barrier, 
But the the problem is that it may be more of a barrier to some than others. So like mm-hmm. um, bulls, for example, animals that are more, you know, sort of uh, prone to taking risks and more bold. And, you know, they might go even into agricultural fields. They might cross, you know, these landscapes with no problem. Mm-hmm. But females and calves that are much shyer, much more, much less um, tolerant of disturbance, that are much more risk averse. Um, they might suffer because they might be too afraid to cross certain landscapes. Mm-hmm. And so taking removing habitat can have you know different impacts on different populations. At, at the end of the day, if the herds, if the females and calves don't do well in the long term, that elephant population is not going to survive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because the future, the next generation really depends on the females and the calves. From our work, we, we see that the, the elephants actually, you know, do always do breed very, very slowly. And um, relative to, you know, how many are probably dying that we've estimated you know, that there's, that we're, that, that are surviving, mm-hmm. um, the birth rate probably doesn't really compensate um, for that. And so over a long t- time frame, mm-hmm. these populations sort of go into a slow decline. And, um, you know, kind of like climate change, mm-hmm. people might not really even notice at first because the elephants are still there. They live a long time. But what you, but if you, if you actually take the data and you look at the data, they're not giving birth that often. There are not many that, calves that are surviving. That's a, a very worrying sign. That means that, you know, the population in the long term mm-hmm. is not going to do well. So that's the consequence. When you, when you, when you, when you lose this habitat, it's not, it's not as shocking as like a poaching, you know, like a killing event where, you know, animals are, there's, you know, there's dead animals to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of graphic, right? And it hits mm-hmm. people right in the right in the gut. But when you have habitat loss, it's a lot more insidious where, you know, these animals sort of gradually disappear, but you don't really, you're not really shocked into realizing what's happening. Um, I've got another question for you. You are an organization, a non-profit organization. Um, where can people find you and how can they support the organization? How do you work with that? So people can find us at trunksandleaves.org. That's T-R-U-N-K-S yeah. and the letter N, leaves, L-E-A-V-E-S, dot org. Okay. And they can follow us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Yeah. Um, and we also have a blog linked to our page where, you know, we post stories and news and articles and, and links to everything that we're talking about. Yeah. And and the, people can donate directly through our website and um uh, the, or they can also adopt an elephant. We have um, uh, kits that are uh, that have elephant individual elephant calves that, that are um, actual animals that we study in the in the national parks. Um, okay. And I've set up a, a fund specifically for defending corridors, the uh, called corridor defense fund. Okay. Um, and and this is a, um, a specific fund for uh, the Diagonal Corridor. And so people can contribute to that um, specifically, or they can make a, 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 another contribution, just a general contribution to support our work. We depend on grants and uh, and um, support from our uh, sponsors yeah. to do our work. And so we hope people will come and take a look. Is there anything that you'd like to mention, anything that you would like to just get out there to people that might be listening? Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you care about elephants and if anyone you know, wants to find out more about what they can do to help, I definitely would direct them to our website. There's a lot of there. We have a lot of resources there. And you mentioned the ethical elephant experiences resources. I would start there if you're thinking about visiting places. 
Um, and then in addition, you know, I'm a primarily a research-driven, uh, we're a research-driven organization. So anyone, you know, students or anyone who's interested in learning more, um, volunteering, for instance, um, we have some opportunities like that um, okay. as well. And cool. we're looking for um, expertise to, to help us with the organization. And we have information about how you can help us. Mm-hmm. So I encourage, um, I'd encourage people to have a look. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, that, that's really, really great. A lot of information there as well. And uh, very good to hear what, what you're doing exactly, um, which is fantastic, I think. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Um, so that was the podcast with Dr. Sherman De Silva. You can find all the information and the latest news on podcast.earth. You can find more information uh, on the organization Trunks and Leaves on the webpage. That is uh, trunksandleaves.org. I'll put it in the show notes. And you can find it as well on uh, our page on our website. That's uh, podcast.earth forward slash trunks and leaves and you have been listening to peter de vries thank you for doing so don't forget to tune in next time